Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. May is one of my favorite months because we honor and celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary. We crown her statues in our churches and we resolve more Marian prayers in our own life. We can honor the Blessed Mother in so many different ways, and my new book, How They Love Mary, explains that. But another way, beside the devotion and the prayers that we pray, that we can honor the Blessed Mother is perhaps by wearing socks that depict the image of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was so excited to see that Sock Religious has a new Our Lady of Fatima sock that they just released this month. And if you are a big devotee of Fatima, I encourage you to buy a pair of those socks and to wear them proudly during the month of May. They have other Marian socks as well, including Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of La Leche, and other Marian designs. Head over to Sock Religious by clicking the link in the show notes and get your Marian socks and celebrate the month of May in style. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. As we continue to make our way through the book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady, each week or every other week, I'm releasing other episodes because... These interviews based upon the book are kind of taking over the schedule. And so uh, there's still many other conversations that I think are worth having. And that's why two episodes sometimes in a week. And as we get ready for Memorial Day, I know what happens on Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people prepare the graves of their loved ones. They put the flowers on their graves. They go to the cemetery on Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day in which we remember our forgotten dead, especially those who served our country. And so that's why great celebrations take place in cemeteries on that day. And what a great reminder then for us to think about the reality of heaven and hell and purgatory. Because for each one of us, as we meet our maker at the end of our life, well, if we are on the path to heaven... Well, then we will spend a little time in purgatory for the purification of our sins so that only what is clean might enter the kingdom of heaven. There are two books recently that uh, Sophia Institute Press released about these topics, and you're going to hear a familiar voice who joined me during the Lenten season to talk about a few of Sophia Institute Press's offerings. And so today, Kristen Van Uden joins me again. She is a spokesperson at Sophia Institute Press and is now the editor of the website Catholic Exchange. And she gives a voice to a lot of these deceased writers. And I'm so happy to have her back today. I enjoyed our last conversation and even in our pre-conversation, it was a great joy. And so look forward to talking about these uh, topics with you today, Kristen. Hi, Father. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, and so you were actually telling me you were on like this one podcast called Coast to Coast, which apparently yes. has like 3 million people and they talk about 
very random things like UFO sightings and everything like that. But we're talking about purgatory mm-hmm. in the afterlife, and they found that that fit into their show. Isn't that right? They did. I have actually been on that show twice now. The first time was to represent one of our titles about Eucharistic miracles. So this is a secular podcast. It's something that is sort of paranormal based. That's how they build themselves. And they'll talk about everything from conspiracy theories to telekinesis. And within that, they investigate religions. And so the host was actually raised Catholic. He was raised Melkite. And so I think he's making his way back, hopefully, slowly to the church. But they have interviewed me twice very respectfully and open-mindedly about Catholic topics. So purgatory, particularly, was interesting to them because it deals with, of course, the afterlife and what happens to the soul after death. And so this is a universal human question. And once somebody of goodwill with an open mind starts asking these questions, hopefully they will find their their way to the light of truth in, in the Catholic Church. And so I hope I was able to answer some of their questions and give, especially with these two books, not only the doctrine, the teaching of the church, but also specific examples from the mystics, from the lives of the saints, and from the Purgatory Museum, which is mentioned in one of these books, that can kind of anchor the conversation in uh, sort of physical examples, especially these these relics from the museum are very difficult to argue with uh, in the way that Eucharistic miracles are difficult to argue with, even coming from a materialist perspective. So, the of course, God gives us these great miracles in order to bring those to the truth, and we're called to believe without seeing, but also when he does give us these miracles, we're called to use them to evangelize as many souls as possible. So I hope I got through to some people. <laughs> well, that's great. And I, I've i always had a great interest in purgatory. When I was a young boy, I read a little book, you know, Queenship Publishing. Maybe they still exist. I'm not sure. But they had this book called uh, The Amazing Secrets of the Souls in Purgatory or something like that. Mm. And it was about a mystic named Maria Sima who had these visions. Uh, She was an Austrian woman, I think, and she had visions. The holy souls would come and visit her and ask them to pray for her, to pray for them. And Mm -hmm. this isn't something that's foreign in our Catholic tradition because there are other saints, there are other mystics that had visits uh, from the holy souls in purgatory. I, I remember a story, it's, you know, maybe in the Pieta book, but there was a religious sister and the religious sister had another member of her community die. And that member came to her and said, please have a mass said for my soul. And so, mm-hmm. and then later that soul came back and was very joyful and happy because she needed the graces of the mass in order to gain eternal life. And that's one of the things too. And so I'm wondering if Father Martin Yugi, who is the author of The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It, if he mentions anything about the the celebration of the Holy Mass and its efficacy for those who have died. Yes, absolutely. The Holy Mass is the most efficacious prayer, of course, in the Church's treasury, and it is what can gain the most graces for the souls in purgatory. So the Church traditionally, as you know, has said three requiem masses for the deceased upon their deaths. So Today, we just have just one funeral, but those three masses were meant to secure, hopefully, uh, enough graces to to sustain them throughout purgatory and hopefully get them to heaven. And the, the mass is worth just an innumerable amount of prayers and indulgences, and of course, those all add up and are very helpful. But 
the mass is the one that the souls always ask for the most. So across the board, throughout all the visions of the mystics, having mass is said is the number one request. The in terms of specific apparitions, the there's one that's discussed in the book where he speaks of masses being offered for him only partially they only partially were applied to his soul at the time because uh, this is actually in the book by Don Delindo, but he writes that God never forces the soul. So the amount of grace that is applied to the soul in purgatory in order to cleanse them does not forcibly cleanse them all at once. It will gradually cleanse them of their sin so that while it is painful, it uh, is in basically in, in accordance with the, the ability of their soul at the moment through God's grace. So the, Mass can either be, through God's decision, applied 100% to the soul or applied partially to the soul, but that is the best thing that we can possibly do for those in purgatory. So whether you choose a specific loved one who has died or just the holy souls altogether, that is something that not only will help those souls, but then they will remember that you had Masses said for them and in turn pray for you. Well, one of the ways that we could avoid purgatory, which is the subtitle of one of the books, How to and the Means to Avoid It. And one of the ways that we could avoid it is, of course, undergoing this complete conversion of our life and never committing sin again in our life, having this complete detachment from sin. But uh, that's that's a very difficult task for us to attain and Mm -hmm. we will fail in that and we will continue to sin unfortunately (laughs) so what are some ways in which we could avoid it as father yugi might say or or father um delingo he says you know prayer penance and almsgiving are powerful attunements for sin so uh, are there things we can do now in anticipation of that life of purgatory Yes. So Father Yugi breaks it down into various means of avoiding purgatory while we're here on earth. So the first is, of course, the sacramental means. So making sure that you do whatever possible to receive last rites and wear a scapular to ensure um, the Sabbatine privilege once you get to purgatory. Making frequent use of confession to stay in a state of grace and to root out all defects and tendencies towards sin. Indulgences are another that he considers a sacramental means here on earth. You can just maximize that state of grace after you've gone to confession and delve into the church's treasury of indulgences. Try to get at least one plenary indulgence per year, if not more. Frequent communion, and of course then last rites, as we mentioned. So these are all things that Catholics should be doing anyway to live a good Catholic life, which at the end of our life is the most important moment, our death, and that's what we live each moment preparing for. So these are not surprising things. These are means that we should be employing anyway, but of course will be one of the greatest safeguards against spending a lot of time in purgatory. His next section on how to avoid it is holy dispositions and salutary practices. So this is more of an explanation of dispositions. So he talks about the spirit of penance. To cultivate in oneself a spirit of penance is one of the surest ways of avoiding purgatory. And he defines this not only as external actions, but as the internal 
virtue. So to really hold a virtue requires not only performative aspects, but also an internal disposition. And developing that is a lifelong endeavor, developing that that form of your character, so to speak. So uh, he also talks about forgiveness. And there's a really interesting example of uh, a mother whose son had been murdered by some boys who were running through the streets of Italy and accidentally shot into an alley and killed her son. And she had a vision of her son and he was walking towards heaven. He was in purgatory. He was with a large group of other boys and he was struggling. He was towards the end of the pack and she was wondering why he was so slow and why he wasn't running towards heaven with everyone else. And he said that it was due to her sorrow on earth that she was spending so much time mourning for him, but not praying. And so once she turned that mourning into actual efficacious prayer, she was able to accelerate his rise to heaven from purgatory. And the most key aspect to all of that was her forgiveness of the boys who had murdered him. So forgiveness is another way to release the not only when we're praying for souls currently in purgatory, but also for our own soul to forgive our, our debtors is something that we can do now and constantly as we will constantly encounter not only our own sins, but the sins of others <clears throat> on earth. And then finally, the constant remembrance of the last things. So the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, hell, reminders that should color the entire act, the entirety of the actions of our lives are something that will be um, reservoirs of grace for us when we come to that final moment of death, if we have lived a summation of a good life. So again, not terribly surprising things and things that we, we know that we should be doing, but nonetheless, good reminders. I really like the reference to indulgences and I think indulgences are kind of making their way back into the church. For me, mm -hmm. sometimes I've really had a struggle with them. Like, you know, we're confining God to a box and we're doing all these different things. And uh, and so I've struggled with indulgences. I still promote them. I recommend them. I, I think that we just need to perform them in the good faith that we're doing our best to carry out what the pious practice for the indulgences. And I, I think, though, that some of these things like... Um, indulgences would bring back a resurgence of confession of people flocking mm -hmm. to the sacrament of reconciliation because one of the requirements for an indulgence is to receive communion to make a confession and to pray in the church etc but when we saw yep. kind of the decline of indulgences well then we also saw the decline of confession when we kind of divorced these two things right. from our spiritual and devotional life as members of the church. So, but with the divine mercy, indulgences are being emphasized again. And then, you know, whether you go on a pilgrimage or praying the stations, when I lead the people in the stations of the cross, I always ensure that we pray the creed and that we pray the Our Father, Hail Mary, and Glory be for the Pope's intention so that that mm -hmm. possibility of an indulgence might be gained, which then. You can either gain it for yourself or you can apply it to a, the holy souls in purgatory. So 
Um, and, and I guess the reality is, is that if we apply it for the holy souls, if we make that sacrifice for ourselves and say, I'm going to do this for a suffering soul in purgatory, well, we know that those souls in purgatories are going to be our great friends. When we arrive in purgatory and they're already in the glory of heaven, they're going to be praying for us from their place in heaven, praying for our relief then uh, in that state of purgatory. Yeah, that's incredible. And to just think that we have a numberless amount of friends who, if you if you make little offerings, whether it's offering up a suffering or just a quick prayer or indulgence prayer every day for the souls in purgatory, then you really have no idea how many people you have helped to give the greatest gift to. And that is finally being able to see God face to face after that period of cleansing. So it's really incredible. St. Catherine of Bologna is quoted in one of these books as saying that she had actually gained more favors or more difficult favors through asking for the intercession of the souls in purgatory than sometimes asking the saints themselves in heaven. So these souls are very grateful for our help, especially those most forgotten, because in purgatory they are somewhat in a state of helplessness because none of their acts are meritorious anymore. They're incapable of sin, but they're also incapable of helping themselves get to heaven. So they're entirely reliant on just waiting out the sentence or the prayers of us on earth or the church triumphant in heaven. So they, in that state of helplessness, will certainly, uh, they can't help us. They just can't help themselves. So they will pay us back. I, I think, you know, <laughs> when somebody dies, for example, you know, I have a funeral at the parish here the next day. And so mm. um, tomorrow is a funeral. And so... Uh, people are going to have masses set for their loved ones. We talked about the efficacy of the mass already. We're talking about souls in purgatory. And I think there comes a point in time where individuals might say, well, I think my loved one must already be in heaven then. I don't need to have masses said for them anymore. Mm -hmm. But that's actually not the case. That's not true. And uh, Susan Tassoni uh, and I, I, I talked to her uh, quite a bit. And she taught me about this idea of accidental glory. And this is a teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas, that that the soul in purgatory, when we pray for them, if they're already with God in heaven, well, then we're increasing their efficacy of their intercession in heaven by our prayers for them here below. So, um, so don't forget to pray for your dad. Don't forget to have masses said. Don't forget to visit their graves because even, you know, as they're with God, the spiritual practice of praying for them, it's still helpful for you because now they can help you in a greater way from their place in eternity. Absolutely. That's a fascinating concept. I had never heard of that before, but right no prayer is ever wasted and God will use it to his glory in some way. And also if we just think of the pervasiveness of sin and our inability to truly know another person, we <laughs> should not be presumptuous and ever assume that someone is in heaven because they could need our help more than ever. And even somebody who lived a wonderful, seemingly spotless life could have some sort of hidden sin or pain due to sin. So uh, out of charity, it's our duty to make sure that we have those masses offered for them, knowing that if they are in heaven, those masses and those prayers will not go to waste. One of the things that I really have struggled with, uh, in a sense, over the years, and my great interest in Mary and Marian devotion and Marian apparitions, was that Our Lady told the children in Fatima, they asked, you know, huh, 
what about so-and-so, so-and-so in heaven? And our lady said, they will be soon or whatever. And then they said, what about Amelia? Mm -hmm. And our lady said, she'll be in purgatory until the end of time. And mm -hmm. th that's always been like a very darkening thought for me that this young girl might be in purgatory until the end of time. Now, I've talked with Fatima scholars. I asked them their thoughts, their opinions on this. And they basically have said that, well, no, that's probably, you know, Our Lady was making a point there that she wanted them to pray. So so almost it was like one of these conditional things. She will be in purgatory until the end of time if you don't really pray for her or whatever. Mm -hmm. So so we have to realize that this apparition is outside of God's time and, and outside of our time. And so now we're praying. And for those who are devoted to Fatima, maybe they pray for Amelia and I, I would yeah. think that by now, from 1917 to 2022, surely she must uh, be with the Lord after all the efficacious prayers. But you think about Francisco. Our lady said, uh, they, they asked, well, will I go to heaven? Francisco, you'll have to pray many rosaries. And <laughs> if you think about these things, like these are children we're talking about. Amelia was a young girl. Francisco was a young boy. And if that's the case for them in their very short life, what must it be like for us who live, you know, 50, 60, 80 years? It's something uh, to marvel at and, you know, to really be devoted to, uh, to trying to attain heaven every single day. Right. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for sure. <laughs> I'm glad you bring up how time is different in purgatory though, because that reminds me of the way that indulgences used to be measured. So often you'll see in an older missile, so I have a missile from around 1940, and under each indulgence prayer, it's measured in a temporal measurement. So it'll say something like seven days or 100 days for this one, or seven years and seven quarantines is another one. And this actually does not mean in terms of earthly time, that is the amount of time commuted off of their their time spent in purgatory, but rather it refers to if you were doing public penance here on earth for your sins, you would have to spend this amount of time to gain the graces contained in this one indulgence. So the soul is so nuanced and complex that simply thinking of Amelia spending till the end of eternity in purgatory and how that is proportional to her sins and her defects is, is difficult for us to conceive of. So uh, a helpful framework is to think of those indulgences and think in terms of measuring, not by time, but by grace. And when, of course, that's all only known to the mind of, of God. And so we should just constantly be, be throwing as much as we can in terms of prayers and indulgences up to the souls in purgatory. But just knowing that the the existence of time there is something that's already beyond our comprehension, just as eternity is. I wrote a book for Sophia Institute Press called Meditations After Holy Communion. And actually, I share in that book in the very beginning that for me, I was introduced to the prayer, the Anima Christi, and it said mm -hmm. like 200 days indulgence or whatever. And I was like 10 years old when I found this prayer card or whatever. And I started praying that prayer after every Mass or every Holy Communion that I had. I was an, a daily Mass server during the summer, so that would be one way that I would 
you know, one way that I would pray that prayer. And so I actually had a little checklist of like how many days, like I thought I had to pray it for 200 days, you know? So, <laughs> so oh, no. it's a very interesting concept, you know? And then I learned, of course, that it was actually, you know, your days in purgatory would diminish or whatever. And then we realized, as you just mentioned, that that we kind of no longer attribute that because, you know, for as the scripture says, one day for God is like a thousand or one thousand years mm-hmm. is like one day. So God is truly outside of time. Do any of these individuals, uh, do they discuss sometimes there's this theory that maybe purgatory is just like a quick like split second of purification or anything like that do they i guess do they address anything of of the duration of purgatory for for a soul so the running theme in these two books is that any small amount of time in purgatory regardless of what it can be compared to whether that be somebody else's time or time here on earth feels like an eternity because the soul is so desperately longing to be with God so that any second spent outside of beholding the beatific vision is very painful and feels very long to that soul. So the, and of course the the purgatory is a painful place as well. And so suffering as as even we know in earthly terms when you when you are in pain time seems much longer so i know there's that there's that legend that saint thomas aquinas made one genuflection in purgatory <laughs> i don't know if you've heard that one and then made it to heaven and others you know stay there till the end of time but the when you think of the state of purgatory is a soul that is confirmed in grace, so they are no longer at risk of going to hell, but they are not yet in their final stage of being in the presence of God. And so that very separation from God is the most painful thing about purgatory. But they suffer the separation with longing and love. They are not resentful in purgatory because they're no longer incapable of sin so they're they're not suffering like the souls in hell who suffer out of pure despair they're they're suffering knowing that that suffering is bringing them closer to god so they do embrace it and this is why we have don delindo discussing in the afterlife what he calls the joys of purgatory but the timing itself feels like an eternity i would say probably subjectively for each of those souls I guess I realized that we never really discussed who these authors are. So we have Father Martin Yugi and then Don or Father Delingo. Uh, and, and these two different authors, these two different priests, Father Delindo might be familiar to people because they might pray the Surrender Novena. And he mm-hmm. is the one that's responsible for the Surrender Novena. But I guess I'm wondering who are Father Martin Yugi, Father Delindo, And then maybe secondly, like I'm looking here at the afterlife and it says that read these pages and you'll embark on this ultimate journey or of discovery into what happens to the soul after death. Notably, Don DeLindo provides proof for the existence of purgatory and explains what it's like for the soul suffering there. So who are they and how did they, how do they know this? How did they get their information? What's their What's their source, I guess, as he provides the proof for purgatory? So firstly, Don DeLindo, as you said, is the originator of the Surrender Novena. He was a great saint and mystic of the 20th century, so he lived from 1882 to 1970. And he was actually called a saint by St. Padre Pio. So 
you can imagine, a better recommendation. Um, an exorcist, of course, he was Italian, lived in Italy, and his book, The Afterlife, details the ascent of the soul after death through pur purgatory and into heaven. So he has, he does get to heaven in the end. He has some beautiful meditations on the soul's ascent into heaven, including the fact that not only the soul's guardian angel, but also in every single case, Our Lady will be there to hold their hand as they come from purgatory into heaven and to bring the soul into heaven. So his evidence for purgatory comes from both the doctrine and, and just factual teachings of the church and also a series of, of visions. So he relies on the visions of St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, for example. She had visions of the soul's sufferings in purgatory according to sin. So she speaks of the liars being punished and expiating for their lies actually closest to hell. They are closest to the bottom of purgatory in her visions. And then sins, uh, souls who had predominant defects and other sins, having various other ways to expiate for that. That He also does discuss the Purgatory Museum, which he, of course, as an Italian, would be quite familiar with. This is located in Rome, and lots of the apparitions that are documented in that museum are local and are from the 19th century. So that would have been within living memory of many of his readers, probably. Uh, another saint he relies on is St. Francesca Romana, St. Catherine of Genoa. It's Father Edward here. I'm interrupting today's podcast because the answer of Kristen is a bit incomplete. She didn't answer the question to its fullness. And the reason for this was I received an emergency email and phone call and text from our alarm company at my church telling me that my church was on fire. So I had to go and attend to the fire trucks and the emergency personnel who had arrived on scene. Fortunately enough, it was only an alarm malfunction and our church is still standing for prayer and worship today. That's why it might seem a bit abrupt as I switch to a new question with Kristen. Thanks so much for your understanding. This is a podcast about the Blessed Mother. It's always important to bring her into the conversation, I think. Of course, she has a great role in the afterlife and heaven, uh, as she is the queen of heaven and earth. And she also has a role, I'm assuming, in purgatory. I know some of it myself, but what is the role of Mary uh, in relationship to uh, these suffering souls in purgatory? The role of Mary is pure mercy towards these souls. So especially on Saturdays, she descends into purgatory to bring souls up to heaven, especially those, again, who have the what's called the Sabbath privilege from wearing the scapular. And she... Uh, in, it's I forget in which book it is. It's in one of these two books. But she is described by a mystic as bringing a total number of souls to heaven in one day that equals that equaled three Italian villages around the surroundings. So it must have been in Dondolindo then. So some untold number of thousands of souls um, through just the intercession of Our Lady in one day are sent brought from from purgatory to heaven so she is present at the ascent of each soul from purgatory to heaven don delindo dedicates an entire chapter to this moment he calls it the soul beholds mary mother of god and the glorious humanity of jesus christ and i'll just read this passage from that chapter if you don't mind that i think encapsulates this this moment perfectly please he says the soul 
The soul brought by Mary out of purgatory feels that she is its most loving mother. Once in paradise, it contemplates her as its queen in the splendor of her glory. Mary is adorned by all her merits, which are in her radiant splendor of incomparable beauty. The soul sees her in her glory as mother of God. In her, the glory of the Holy Spirit is still shining. He made her mother of the incarnate word, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Because of her divine eternity, she, was, she is always overshadowed by the eternal procreation of the word of God. The archangel, announcing to her the mystery of the incarnation of the word in her, told her two distinct things in answer to the difficulty that Mary laid on him. That is, she could not bear a son because she did not know a man. The archangel told her that she would not have him by a man, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that, in this miraculous maternity, the, internal, the eternal paternity of God, who begets the eternal word, would overshadow her. <clears throat> and he goes on to say, finally, nobody can estimate the glory of Mary in heaven because of her divine maternity. The soul, seeing her, is enraptured. It rejoices. And in that light of most high perfection and incomparable beauty, understands better the purest glory of God. The soul then aims itself with the most ardent love toward that glory, that it may possess him in eternal happiness. So we see here, of course, as always, Mary is pointing to her son. She's pointing to Jesus, and she is serving as that that vessel by which we can meet and know and love Jesus. And that is that final moment that we are ever separated from Jesus. And, you know, of course, to Jesus through Mary is never more true than in that moment when she helps us to meet him most intimately in heaven. And there's also, you know, you mentioned earlier a little bit about the Sabbatine privilege and there that's disputed whether it's true or whatever, but I definitely being devoted to the Blessed Mother is a great help and aid for us in our spiritual lives. And so um, wearing the brown scapular can only be of great assistance to us. And if you hear some of the stories of the scapular, praying the prayer of the Hail Mary, pray for us at the hour of our death. That's a very mm -hmm. powerful thing that we ask the Blessed Mother to pray for us. So um, she has this great role in our lives here on earth. And really, if we think too about her apparitions, it's all about getting us to the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that's why she comes. That's why she calls us back to prayer and conversion and things like that. So, um, yeah, what a beautiful way that Mary is involved in our lives on our pilgrimage so that we might join her and her son uh, in eternity. Absolutely. Exactly. And I think that's a wonderful image to just bring with us. Uh, of course, we pray for the hour of our death because it's the most important hour of our life, but the moment that we ascend into heaven from purgatory will be of equal importance, and she is there for both of them. As you've looked at these books, as you're the spokesperson for this book, for these two books, well, what's your biggest takeaway? What resonates with you as you, you know, think about the afterlife and purgatory? How have they impacted your view on these subjects? I would say that the biggest takeaway for me is that I hear so often from people that they are going to aim for purgatory. And while, of course, we know that we will likely go to purgatory, that it's possible to avoid it, but given the prevalence of sin and the pain due to sin, we will likely spend some time there. I would just encourage everyone to aim for heaven and then land in purgatory. <laughs> the it It is this mixture of 
reading about purgatory is a mixture of horror and mercy because the sufferings there are very intense. They're so intense that we can't even conceive of them. The fire there is so purifying. Of uh, The word purgatory, purgation, comes from the Greek root for fire. So pyro comes from the same word. So it is a place of great suffering, but equally of great joy. And when we think about it, it's a mercy because nothing that is even slightly impure can metaphysically be in the presence of God. It's just impossible for that to happen. So God allows this time of cleansing and purgation because otherwise the soul would have to just go to hell if it was unclean and, and uh, due to venial sins that had been unrepented of or the pain due to mortal sins that had been repented of. So purgatory is a great gift that God gives us and it takes courage to embrace the suffering that comes to us in this life but that suffering is nowhere near anything that we can encounter in purgatory so to me the the number one actionable item from these books was to just recommit to carrying whatever crosses come your way in this life so that you can shorten your time in purgatory all the while knowing that it is a great testament of god's love and these are truths of our faith that we should learn, that we should be aware of, because as you mentioned, it's going to encourage us on our way to the kingdom of heaven. Today, we've been talking about two different books, The Truth About Purgatory and the Means to Avoid It by Father Martin Yuki, and then also The Afterlife, Purgatory and Heaven Explained by Don DeLindo uh, of the Surrender Novena. So if you're interested in these topics... I think these are worthy books for your spiritual reading so that they might encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And as we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend and think of our beloved dead and visit cemeteries, maybe make it a point this year to visit a cemetery every week. One of the things, or during the summer, I mean, and so for me as a pastor, I live right next to a Catholic church. I look out my kitchen window on a Sunday afternoon and I see cars one after one coming in and they're paying respects to their loved ones who have died. So if it's been a while since you visited the grave of your family members who have died, and I'll admit I it's been a while for me, uh, let's recommit to visiting their graves and praying for them often. Thanks so much, Kristen, for joining me today on How They Love Mary. Thank you, Father. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope that the conversation with our guest was one that was enriching for you as much as it was for me. I am so honored that you listen to How They Love Mary. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd encourage you to rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so that others might begin to see this podcast show up as a recommended podcast for them. I look forward over the next 28 weeks of discussing the different figures from my new book, How They Love Mary, available from Sophia Institute Press. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, head on over to Sophia Institute and acquire your copy today or wherever you get Catholic books. Thanks so much for listening today. May God bless you today and Mary pray for you.